thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. Hi, people. So, this is my upbeat music. <laughs> hey, it is Friday. Usually we have free-for-all Friday, but today we have a guest, people. Yeah, we do. So, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to interview my guest. His name is Elmo. Yeah, just like that guy on Sesame Street. You know, the red guy. Anyway... Have you ever met somebody named Elmo? It's hard not to like a guy named Elmo, you know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, we're going to be talking about Elmo Pinard's book, The Politicized Church Getting Right with God. That's it, people, right there. See that? You can get it over on Amazon. Yeah, you can. Or you can go over to Elmo's website, which is called uh, notes, notesfromtheprayerroom.com. Welcome to the prayer room, people. So let me uh, let me read the back of this book. It says here, Sunsets are glorious unless they precede darkness and doubt. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Second Chronicles 7.14 This message from God is for Christians and Jews together who want God to heal our land. Some see the sun as setting on our society as it becomes chaotic and divisive, or divisive, depending on where you're at in the country. Yeah. Anyway, then it says, read the politicized church to discover how to get real with God today, people. Wait, there we go. There is an art to this, people. Quick screenshot. Okay, there you go. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna have fun talking to Elmo Pinard, and also don't worry, we have his other book too. It's called The Fool's A Fool's Redemption. I think he's talking about himself, but you know, aren't we all fools, people? Yeah, we are. So we're gonna talk about the testimony of the man who wrote the other book too. So if you want to learn more about the books, go over to that website I said, notesfromtheprayerroom.com, people. Yeah. All right. Also, during the show, if you care to make a comment. Anywhere on any platform that you're on, just leave a comment, say hi, let us know that you're there. That way I can talk to you better because I can know you're there. And, um, and then we can answer your comments. Well, they won't be able to monitor them all. We will do our best, people, to monitor them all. And just so you know, also, I would ask that you pray right now. You ever wonder why people do that? I mean, do you think Jesus did this? I'm not, I'm not really sure. But anyway, uh, my internet connection has been like freezing. So if all of a sudden I go, that's probably why. <laughs> that and because I'm part of the Frozen Chosen, just so you know. Oh, anyway, so, uh, so without further ado, people, my guest is Elmo Pinard. And I met him in a networking group that we, go th- we both go to. He lives in California. 
he, he goes to the, the Packing House Church, if I'm recalling correctly. Am I? Yes. yes. Okay. I am. And, uh, and you know, we've had some conversations together, and, and I think it's great that uh, that we, we get to talk again without other people. Well, I was going to say, there's usually lots of people in the room when we're together, and now it's just us, but people are luring and they're watching. So, hi, Elmo. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you very much for inviting me. This is really special, Stacey. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, think, that, I think that this is going to be great. First of all, you know, we got to talk about your name because, you know, how many, is that really your full, your aunt, your, your given name? It's not yes, like. Yes, it is. If you don't mind a quick story. No, I don't my mind. My father was born to my grandmother in 1919 and they lived on a farm in Upper Michigan. And the itinerant priest that roamed on horseback through Upper Michigan came by to baptize my father. And he asked my mother what his name was. And she says, I haven't picked one yet. Hmm. And he says, why don't you name him after me? And that was Father Elmo Matthias. So my father became Elmo Matthias Pennard. And he wanted me to be junior. Oh, you're a junior. Oh, that's sweet. And I actually knew Jim Henson before he named Elmo. Oh. Yeah, didn't we talk about that this week? Possibly. Yeah, I think we did. So do you think that Elmo is really named after you? That's my guess. Very subtly, uh, there had to be an influence. He looked at my name on my uniform uh -huh. for over two years, uh, every time he came into the service station where I managed. And we had uniforms back then. We had service. We had washing of windows. Mm -hmm. So he got this. Yeah. Every time he came into the station. So I can imagine he was thinking, I wonder what I could, should call this little guy. And he's thinking, why not Elmo? That's a strange name. Well, I think at some point during the show, we will put up a side-by-side -side of you and Elmo. And actually... <laughs> look and see how much alike you really do look like people he really does just saying also can you try can you move your microphone a little bit closer to your mouth so we can hear you better i think I don't know if I can or not. Yeah, yeah you may or may not be able to but there's more to this is that better oh yeah that's a lot better now i can hear you lots really? better i'm not sure if that's oh, the mic okay. that's being picked up oh really yeah because i didn't hear any noise when you handled it oh well that's okay that's okay yeah, no, it's good. You can do it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay, so, uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say hi to Sharon over there on Periscope, and I saw a couple other people too, but I don't know where they're at now. They left. Okay, and I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna hit share this on Twitter. All right, so Elmo. I just love saying the name Elmo. <laughs> It's not every day I get to talk to an Elmo, so I have to, you know, anyway. <laughs> okay, so let's start with your story, okay? Because I think your background, you and me talked for a while, a couple weeks ago, and I think your background is cool. You shared with me a part of your testimony, which you documented in this book, right? A Fool's Redemption? Yes. So this yes, will I give can. us, yeah, this will give us a little bit of a background of the of the man, the legend, Elmo Pinard. And um and then we'll get into your book that you wrote, the other one, 
uh, about that so we can know. Okay. So how did it all start? Were you in it? Were you, were you raised in a church? No, no. As a matter of fact, my mother was one of the first new agers and we grew up in our household with tea leaf reading, seances, Ouija boards, and uh, far out uh, religious teachings from Asia, uh, trying to find a good mix of everything was uh, in her mind. Uh, my father uh, passed when I was three and a half. My sister was only a year old. He had polio. So my mother was left with three children, my oldest uh, sister, six years older than I am. And uh, as a single mother back in the 50s, I was unfortunately uh, ADHD. Uh, they tried putting me on Ritalin back uh, when I was six. And uh, my mother hated the way it made me like a drug addict. Uh, so she took me off of it and just told the school that uh, they were going to have to live with me like I am. Well, that was easier said than done. And uh, uh, through whatever circumstances, I, I adopted uh, a, an anger and uh, a bully. I became a bully. By the time I was in the sixth grade, I was uh, wild. Uh, having been arrested already by then, uh, going into seventh grade and eighth grade, I was arrested many times, spent a lot of time in juvenile hall. Um, and if you can imagine the juvenile hall being in East Los Angeles, uh, back in the 50s, I was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, surfer-looking dude amongst all the uh, uh, other kids that were not. They were just the opposite. And so I learned to fend, by my, fend for myself by releasing the anger and being somewhat crazy. Uh, there was an instance in Juvenile Hall where a young, uh, one of the guys that had been there that was bigger than most of us threatened to uh, do things to me in the shower. Uh, and while we were having lunch, he was across the table he reached to take my hamburger away from me and I stuck his hand to the table. And I just looked at him and left the fork there in his hand. And uh, he never touched me. So I learned that that was the way I was gonna protect myself while uh, they did whatever they were gonna do with me. Well, it ended up that I, by good fortune, was allowed to go to Boys Republic in Chino rather than the youth authority. And Boys Republic was a farm community where the boys were, um, uh, they're like Boys Town in Nebraska. The boys had their own government, elections, officers, policemen, uh, and uh, we all worked. I ended up going to work in the kitchen and while I was there, we were made to go to hear the gospel on Sunday night, no matter what religion we were, we were made to go to uh, a, a gospel service with worship and hymns and uh, preaching. And it was there that God 
And the only way I can put it is that he introduced himself to me. Somehow, some way, even though I was not seeking him and I wasn't doing anything to request his presence, he planted himself in me somehow, some way. I think now it might even be that he put that heart of flesh in me uh, for the purpose of saving me later on. And unbeknownst to me, I started behaving. I started being more responsible. I started uh, uh, working harder. I started working harder in school, doing my lessons. I started taking responsibility for myself. And again, this was without any knowledge of the gospel or uh, I, I remember going to church when I was a youngster with my aunt and my grandmother to the Catholic church. So I heard their view, version of who God is. And I remembered Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Um, so when I came out, I, I was released as a responsible young adult at 17. And I think it was halfway through 11th grade. And I'd gone in before the ninth grade. So I was there for a couple of years, couple of, probably two and a half, and went to a public school. But the first thing I wanted to do was to get baptized. So I went to the priest, and it turned out the day I went to him was Palm Sunday, and I didn't know what day it was. And he said, do you know what time of the year this is? And I said, no. And he said, well, it's Easter week. I said, okay. And it had no meaning for me at all. But uh, he said, if you will come and visit me before you go to school every day this week, uh, to get some catechism, I'll baptize you on Easter Sunday. So that's what happened. So that's one of the reasons why I call myself a Catholic Baptocostal. <laughs> because I started out in the Catholic Church. And from there, my relationship with Jesus grew, but I still wasn't good enough to be a real civilized human being. I quit getting arrested. I wasn't incarcerated but once after that, but I wasn't a very good starter husband, and I wasn't a very good college student, and so I still had a lot of problems to deal with, but Jesus gave me some tools to begin with, and so that's why I'm grateful for going to Boys Republic. I'm grateful for Jesus. I'm grateful for the Word of God. I'm grateful for what I learned about facing myself at Boys Republic, uh, which is what they taught. The boy, the other peer pressure at Boys Republic was to be real. Quit playing games with yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of the influence for my second book was getting real with God requires you to face some truth about either he is or he isn't. Yes. You have to choose for yourself. And either he wrote the Bible through the, the uh, writers, he in, inspired the Bible, or he didn't. And if you solve those two questions for yourself in the positive, that you're going to accept God is, and that he wrote the Bible, then the next logical statement is he wrote it for us to read. Yes. 
All right, let's. So I... Go ahead, Stacy. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just want to just uh, just announce to everybody that we know that there's a little technical issue. Yeah, we do. And so we're going to try to get that fixed, right? Can you do that, Randall, now on YouTube? As long as I'm here, because we're not live on YouTube. It says that we are, but... It does? Because I show it's not. And there's like five people over there waiting to get in. Oh, wait. Now it's watching. Okay, good. Yay! Okay. Um, can, can you guys hear Elmo okay? Can you give us a thumbs up or yes or no or something? That way we can find out if we can adjust the volume for you. Because we don't... Elmo, I don't think your audio is coming through your mic. I think it's coming through your computer. Oh, All right. is your mic? I tested on Zoom. Yeah, is it plugged in? The uh, test speaker. I got the ringtone. Yeah, but is your and now I'm talking and it says. Yeah, but is it is your headset plugged into your computer? Yes. It is, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Let's do that again. Let me double check the. Uh... Yes. We're just doing Speaking technical. Audio test speaker. Yeah, while you're doing that, let's just say hi to some people. So, hello, people. <laughs> we just want to make sure, because I just had somebody say that they couldn't hear, hear very good. And I I can hear you okay, but... Maybe if, I'm not talking loud enough, or maybe it's uh, not close enough to my mouth. Um, I can hear... Yeah, I'm getting a good reap. Huh. No, don't hear anything. Now we don't hear anything at all, really. Is that any better? That's oh, way better. Way better. There we go. Oh, well, I'm sorry you missed all the good part. No, we heard we heard it, just not as loud. <laughs> I don't know what happened. It's like you flipped a switch or something, huh? What I did was is I moved it a half an inch closer to my mouth. Yeah, there you go. And I started speaking a little louder. Okay. Yeah, no, it's perfect. You guys well, can hear forgive better. me, everybody. I didn't mean to be a problem. No, you're not. That's okay. Believe me, this is nothing compared to other technical technical difficulties <laughs> we've had in the past. So, okay, well, this is good though because we're going to talk about your book, your other book. Okay, so where did it go? Where did it... oh, here it is, right here. This book, the politicized church. So now I know that people are going to think that uh, this book is about politics from the title. So I guess the first question is explain the title and what it is exactly you mean about the politicized church. Cause you know, when we talked, I told you that a lot of our audience is really interested in politics and stuff. Well, in the Bible, we learned that there's the kingdom of God and there's the world and there's yes. a spirit of the world. And the devil is the uh, prince of the power of the air. And he is the ruler of the world. The kingdom of God is ruled by God. And he says often through different speakers in the New Testament that we are to keep ourselves unstained from the world. We're not supposed to let the world influence us. We're supposed to influence the world. That's right. Well, I have met Christians that hate evangelicals. <gasps> and Sorry. that to me is a explanation of where they're coming from doesn't really match what Jesus said. How can you hate another Christian? 
just because he believes differently than you. Right. Well, it, I delved into it rather deeply to find out that there is a number of churches that are more led by the world. They've been politicized rather than they've been leading the world with the gospel. They no longer really believe that Jesus said we're to love one another. Or they would check themselves against that hallmark. Either you love like God wants you to love, or you don't belong to him. So I've heard a message from a particular denomination, a pastor was preaching a message that he thinks that that church are the sheep and the evangelicals who believe in the word of God and follow Jesus according to the word of God are the goats that will not recognize his voice when the judgment comes. Hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, this is all very wrong. Meantime, for the last 10 years, we've been praying for a revival. And I say we because I know there's many Christians everywhere that are praying for a revival, which to me meant throughout the ages coming back to the word of God. Just like uh, Ezra coming back to the word of God brought about the revival with Nehemiah. And going through the ages, uh, Martin Luther King coming back to the Bible, being convinced that the Bible was not just true, but it was personal. Mm -hmm. And so this is where I believe that this particular portion of Christianity in the United States that have allowed the world to influence them, they've become politicized. And so my book was written to those that probably will never read it. But it was written for those that they might have a friend that they still love that is an evangelical that can say, you know, you ought to read this. Yeah. But some of the other influence in the book is, is that we really aren't the problem. The divisiveness in the church can be solved by all of us turning toward God and repenting, coming back to the word of God for truth. Jesus said it's the word that he wants us to be sanctified with. He says, sanctify them in the word. Thy word is truth. And that was his priestly prayer the night before he was uh, crucified. Mm -hmm. So I've tried to give a good apologetic throughout the first part of the book of not only where the word of God was supposed to be primary over all the other ways we practice our religion and to come back to the simplicity of the word of God and take it personally. And when you do, you will be healed and so will the church. So that's what I was hoping to accomplish. In the middle, there's a section that speaks to those that have been misled by the world to try and to help them discover how they've been misled by the world. I didn't specifically name certain radio and TV stations that are purposefully misleading them, but I was trying to share with them some of the things that I learned on how to prevent being misled. Mm -hmm. 
And there was a, a wonderful teacher in one of my classes, I think it was English, that gave us an assignment to listen to a commercial every night at home on the TV and to do a report on that commercial, whether they made a true premise or whether they were misleading. Like for example, everybody's gonna be happy if they drive a Corvette, you know, those kind of silly things. But we had to scrutinize and we had to examine and we had to, we were given the tools to keep ourselves from being misled by things that aren't true. You know what? This is interesting because you don't know this about me. Um, and, you know, when we uh, um, met, there was, well, we, we just met really. <laughs> me and Elmo met. By the way, Bareface, you are looking up for a picture of Elmo to put up next to Elmo, right? Just, you know, just for levity. But anyway, um, so I remember years ago, I was at a church and I was teaching a Bible study. And um, in the Bible study, one of the things that I asked the ladies in the Bible study to do was go home and to watch the news, right? Because everybody likes to watch the news because it's so uplifting. Yeah, it is not. Anyway, and my assignment, though, was for them was to ask this question, which was, why are they showing me this? What is the purpose of them showing me this? How come they're showing me this instead of something else? Right. And I had them come back to me the next week and we discussed this because there is an agenda. Uh, the liberal media, every media, there's agenda, there's an agenda. But the, the, the big three that we were raised on at the time that this was before cable, you know, like it is today. Um, and and they came back and they were a little bit flabbergasted because it made them think different. And that's what I'm about. I'm about making them think different. You know, in um, Psalm 1, it's one of my favorite psalms, you know, um, it starts out. Let me see here. I'll pull it up really fast so I don't misquote it. Okay. Wait, hold on, people. I want to say this. Perfect. Because I can. I sh and I have this memorized. It's just like, honestly, like menopause brain pff, just went outside my head. I was going to try to cover it, but you know, whatever. Okay. Anyway, it says here. Yeah, that's what it says. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That's the first thing in Psalm 1. And I always ask myself, and I've said this to you guys out there a lot of times, what is the counsel of the wicked? You know, the counsel of the wicked in America is that it's okay to kill a baby in the womb. Right? The counsel of the wicked in America is that one, you know, two men can be married. That's, that's the counsel of the wicked. Right? And then Psalm 1 goes on to talk about, nor set, set foot on the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers. And then he goes, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates both day and night. Well, if you're part of my daily disciples group, and you're on my text message list, and, you know, I have been trying to encourage you guys to, to read, at least this week, the books of First and Second Thessalonians. That's eight chapters. It doesn't take long to read it. But I get people messaging me and they tell me, oh, I don't have time to read it. I, I got work. 
I don't have time to read it. But that same person can be posting on Instagram 10, 5, you know, 10 million times a day or, or scrolling through Twitter or Facebook, you know, watching their favorite whatever on YouTube. But like opening the Bible, it's like, we won't want that, you know, because that's too hard. So Elmo, how do you address that? Because I know you also used to be a Gideon, Gideon right? Yes. Yes, I um, I have different <laughs> people that I have to uh, meet with, and I try to know their politics, the way they think, uh, but I'm not always correct. Um, we discovered in our Bible study, of which I'm one of the two teachers, that um, we made some comments that were opposed to Hillary Clinton uh, before the last election and they got up out of the room and they walked, got up and walked out of the Bible study meeting. And this also added to my questions about who is it that could say they believe in the Bible, say they believe the new Testament and vote for a Democrat, vote for any of the platform of the Democrat. And I, had, I wasn't asking because I thought it was incredulous. I was asking because I just witnessed two good people that believe themselves to be Christians that are willing to support things they're against. Supposedly. Where does that come from? And the answer That's to my point. question, believe it or not, I've read extensively since about the influence of the ecumenical councils of the pre-Second World War, the efforts to uh, deny the Bible as being written, inspired by God, that, that it always came back to not really taking the Bible personally, so you can't have a biblical worldview from which to filter everything else. And these are dear, sweet people that believe themselves probably a little more holy than I, and it wouldn't surprise me a bit that they are more holy than I, but they do come from a church background that he was a pastor for 25 years, and he said that that church didn't even believe in grace wow. until the early 60s. Well, that means that the whole church missed a lot of the point of Ephesians 2, 8, and right. most of what Jesus says, that he's the grace, he and came truth. In grace and truth. How could you not believe in grace as a church, a Christian church? So they're the ones that are still called by my name that I was trying to address by putting Second Chronicles 7.14 on the back of the book. Hmm. You still call yourself by my name, but are you really with me? Do you really follow me? You know, so I'm praying for their repentance as well as my own, but I don't, it's a, it's a different way of thinking to be able to vote for things you don't believe in. Well, you know, that's interesting. Okay, this is interesting because you and me, we look at the scripture, and I believe we both mostly, 
in the context, take it literally. And we yes. read and we read it. So that's one thing. Um, what I have noticed, and I have I have people on the left who watch our show all the time, and they're believers. And this isn't what I'm about to say. Isn't it? Doesn't I'm not talking about any of you in particular. Okay, I'll just put it that way. But what I've noticed as a whole is that generally the left doesn't read the Bible. <laughs> what the left does is listens to people who don't actually teach the Bible. People like Joel Osteen, who I will call out because Joel Osteen, in my opinion, he himself called himself a coach, a life coach. And, and in his book about living your best life, not one reference to the cross of Jesus in that book. Oh. So. Well, that's why I mentioned the word personally, because there are portions of the Bible that we're not supposed to take literally. Mm -hmm. They're poetic. Right. Or they're, I don't believe in allegories, but they're parables. Um, and there are uh, likenesses in the Old Testament that are likenesses of things to come. So I, I, I was wondering about that very distinction of taking things personally. When you read the scriptures and I read the scriptures, we read God's word as if he were speaking to us personally. Yes. And he is three persons. He's a personal God, not personal private, but he's a personal God. Personality defines him. He's got so much personality, he had to become three. To communicate to us. Never thought and of it that way. That's because he's so huge. We can't even imagine the, the immensity and the awesomeness. He had to become something that we could somewhat grasp and live with and abide in. And he says, Jesus says that if you abide in me and my words abide in you. That means live in you. That means take into your personality. One of the th other things that I address, probably to some chagrin for some Catholics especially, that I don't believe Jesus meant that we're to physically eat his flesh and physically drink his blood. Because in John 6, 63, he says, it's not my flesh that counts for much. It's my words. They are spirit and they are life. So he goes on from John chapter six about eating my flesh and drinking my blood to explain his meaning because he didn't want us to take it literally. Right. He wanted to take it personally. And I, I, I hope that there are some people that read the book that get that. Oh, yeah. That they, yeah. Ask, that they ask themselves, what does God want here? Yeah. That's good. I'm frozen over on my Zoom account, just so you know. <laughs> oh, well, you're looking pretty good on my end. I, look, I can okay. see you fine. Look at yeah. that. I'm the broadcast back. is always going to be you're good. You're very, okay, very good. mobile. <clears throat> so... 
Okay, so what do you, what, how do I ask this? So, okay, I know you talked about ecumenicalism a little bit. Um, for those people who don't really know what that is, can you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Because I'm sure there's a couple people who don't understand that term. Back on the, the this book that I read is called Double Crossed, and it's about how FDR hired Christians to start the CIA. And it wasn't called the CIA until <clears throat> after the Second World War. But beginning in the late uh, 1930s, churches were being influenced by um, that group of scholars that said that the Bible really wasn't true, written truly. It wasn't written by God. He didn't really mean this. He didn't really mean that. Uh -huh. And um, I forgot what they called themselves. I forget right now, but I did write in the book about the fact that there were Christians that said, we don't have to believe the Bible to be Christians. We can follow our religion and be Christians. So the way that this book double Cross, the writer of this book was very good about, he, he profiled five Christians that, uh, spied while they were evangelizing as missionaries they spied for the united states to help them win the war and some of them were bible believers one of the most um, noticeable was john birch he was a missionary in china that cared about nothing more than winning the souls in china for jesus christ and yet he was murdered over there by the communist Chinese. And it was his martyrdom that uh, create, caused some people to create the John Birch Society, <clears throat> which started giving evangelicalism a bad name. On the other hand, the ecumenicals were the ones that infiltrated Washington. Yep, They stayed with the CAA. The ecumenicists were the ones that wanted one world church. They wanted the world church, uh, the world council of churches. They wanted to bring all the different Christian churches together, uh, which was such a great thing. But the only way they knew how to do that was to water down the gospel. Take evangelicalism out of the Bible, take the Bible out of Christianity and what you have left are Christians, according to ecumenicists. Mm -hmm. And so the sad part is, is that they infiltrated the United States so much that they are called now the deep state. And they've been with like the FBI changed drastically after uh, J. Edgar Hoover died. And and he was no prize. I'm sure he wasn't even a Christian, but he didn't want communism to infiltrate our society and change our Christianity. So ecumenicism was the one world church, one world government, uh, deep staters that still want us thinking that they have the right idea about God's intention and what God wants. 
Does that help, Stacy? Yeah, and I, and I think it I think it's very good history and very concise as well. And I think that that we're seeing that conflict even today. We see it in the White House. We see it with Donald Trump's choice to make a a faith-based ecumenical group of people that have come in to be his spiritual counselors. Uh, some who are biblical, some that are not. <laughs> um, and uh, and I don't know, did you read um, Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis's book, The Deep State? Not yet. You recommended that to me, and I just finished uh, the two that I had on my plate at the time. Okay. I try to limit my books to two or three at a time, Stacey. That's okay. Especially when they're really important like that one. Sure. Well, and and yeah, and I know he's got a new one too. I, I don't know what it is. I don't remember the title, but I know I need to talk to him again and see if I can get him back. Cause, um, but that is kind of the interesting thing because I've seen in the 30, I don't know, six years or so that I've been a believer. I remember, okay, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. You know, my my parents were Catholic, got thrown out of the Catholic Church after I had my little first communion. I got all dressed up in what looked like a wedding gown for that, you know. They got thrown out of the church. And then my mom took me away, and I didn't become a Christian until I was in high school. Um, but the, um, seriously, did that really seriously go in and out my head? <laughs> It did. My thought left me. Okay, look. Ecumenicus, you were talking about the deep state and the writer that wrote the book, The Deep State. Yes. Then grew up as a Christian. Parents got thrown out of the Catholic Church, excommunicated after they divorced. Yes, I remember all that. First communion. <laughs> well, you know, and your mother your... took you away from the church. And yeah. You became a Christian when you were a teenager. Oh, okay. Now I remember. So you're okay. <laughs> Yes. So and she's back. I'm back. Yeah, I am. Call it me it's menopause. I, I swear. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, the very first time I went to a Christian church was, um, it was right when I was a teenager. And um, I remember going to this youth group. And at the youth group, the guy leading the, the meeting, instead of doing a Bible study with us, he pulled out the ungame. Do you remember the ungame? So the ungame is a game. It's actually a communications game. It was very big in the 80s where, where I got saved. The lady that created the ungame um, was a Christian, and she ended up having throat problems and vocal issues, and she was supposed to be quiet for like a month. And so she decided one night, and she, was, she went to church, and she couldn't talk to anybody, um, and she was sitting there feeling really lonely, and she wanted to know you know, how people were, but she was even sadder that nobody was asking her anything. And so, so then she went home and she had her kids and her, her husband there and they all went to bed and she stayed up late one night creating all these questions. She started asking all these questions, you know, and then made some cards and then developed a board and eventually it got published and it became the ungame. Um, so we were doing this game at church as a means to kind of connect and get to know one another. And as a former therapist, these these cards are now pretty common. You can get a lot of cards that do that type of thing, kind of break the ice card. 
Um, but it's also the psychology that went into the church, the recovery movement that kind of infiltrated the church. And so you got celebrate recovery. You have all these different recovery psychobabble-ish stuff within the church that took the place of a Wednesday night Bible study, let's say. Everybody, instead of going to Bible study where we actually just read the Bible, actually opened the Bible and just read it, all of a sudden you got people playing the ungame and or as time passed, you got DVD teachings of people like Beth Moore, you know, and let's go ahead. Let's put a DVD in for a women's study and get her book and we'll go through it and fill in the blanks thereby cutting out any actual interaction with a Bible teacher in the room and, again, not allowing for an actual Bible teacher to be, be able to actually practice their gift in the room and have some real fellowship. And so I've seen this, you know, slow dismantling of, of a Bible study in the church. And there used to be Wednesday night prayer meeting, as you probably know. Or a Sunday night prayer meeting. People used to go to church Sunday, Mon you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Um, and people were in God's word when they were doing that. But then from the 80s onward, at least as long as I've been a believer, it's just been this slow creep dismantling. And then the most recent thing that I've noticed is the whole social gospel. So let's go out. Let's, let's, let's get involved in sex trafficking. And let's rescue those who have been, you know... And all that. And that's not a bad thing, but that's, as somebody told me, Judas is the father of the social gospel. And the scripture that they used to uh, give that point, and you can agree or disagree, is that when the woman was anointing Christ with oil, very costly perfume, she broke it, she poured it all over his head, um, Judas, it says specifically in one of the Gospels, said, hey, you know what? What she could have did with that oil is could have sold it and given the money to the poor. And then, of course, as you know, Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor with you. Um, so you just basically shut up, Judas, you know. And, She's done the greater work. Right. And wherever yeah. the Gospel is preached in the whole world, though, she would be honored because of it. And that's a huge thing. A lot of people don't look at that. And so we get, we, so now we're up here to this, this point in history where you have a watered down church who doesn't know God's word. And yet we have more Bibles and more Bible teachers than I think ever, ever probably in the history of the world. I don't know about that, but that's what my, what my guess is. It's been noted that we probably do that, when I read about the first great awakening in the uh, 1700s before, um, which led up to the revolution in America, that the more people became Christians than ever before in that great awakening. And then there was a second great awakening. And then there was the rebuttal by the devil to come up with different philosophies trying to take God out. Mm. David Hume and uh, mm -hmm. there was uh, some others, but the, the, the uh, theory of evolution, uh, Mormonism was created because supposedly Joseph Smith didn't think we were following the Bible well enough 
or something like that. That's what I've heard. So he had to bring a different truth and explain things. And Mary Baker Eddy started something new. And, and all of those were rebuttal to the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And at one point, when our nation was created, the only book they taught stu public students was the Bible. Right. So uh, I know um, that we as a people have allowed the world to teach us and those the especially the ones that that the scholars had said that there are no such things as miracles right even the dallas theological seminary tried to teach us that the gifts were for the beginning of the the church they were not for today well not being very specific about what gifts they meant they led people to believe that they, the Holy Spirit wasn't for today. Like the Holy Spirit of God can be thrown out of the church. So a lot of the word of mouth that you were talking about, people believing what they hear rather than what they can read for themselves, mm -hmm. that's the part that I'm hoping we can turn back to the Bible individually, personally, and start communicating with God personally, his person to our person, so God can tell us what he wants and, and what's right, instead of listening to all these other noises. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I mean, I called them the... Um, what did I call them? The, this, those scholars that wrote that uh, theory uh, were the unbeliever's guide to the Bible. Why would you ever believe an unbeliever in what he says about the Bible? Yeah. Well, let me ask you something, okay? Because I have, I don't know what he, I don't know what you just said to me, Randall. <laughs> Sorry. But anyway, I know we're running out of time. But I do have a question. I just read the story that one of one of the famous Christian artists recently came out, recanted, and said he no longer believes he's not a Christian. Um, mm. And um, it's over on the Christian Post. In fact, I'm not even sure. I can maybe I can find the guy's name. Not somebody that I actually know, um, but you guys can go over there and look it up. Um, but anyway, this has come out um, a lot. This seems to be like a trend with. Uh, Christian artists who come out and or some Christian celebrity they'll come out and say oh well I don't believe in the Bible anymore I never it's it's false and blah blah and everything and then the real believers for lack of a better way to put it go oh that's okay bro we love you anyway and blah 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 blah, blah. you know and I read one comment today from somebody it was a woman actually and she wrote on this article, basically, you know what? Hey, this this guy has shipwrecked his faith, and you know, just walk away. Have no longer have any fellowship with him because he's actually causing division now and divisiveness towards the cross. And I see this happening a lot. There's that trend. The other trend that I see is pastors committing suicide. Um, and I can think of two people 
in particular that just recently committed suicide that were pastors in the last year. Jared Wilson, who was actually a guest on my show, committed suicide. Ooh. And um, and this other guy, I can't think of his name, but he just a couple of days ago committed suicide. And what's that tell you, Elmo, about about the state of Christianity in America when you have these pastors killing themselves and then you have Christian celebrities saying, oh, yeah, this isn't true anywhere. I'm walking away. Well, it, one thing it tells me is that the opposing media that wants us to believe that this is a trend are quick to report all of those things, but are not too quick to report the revivals that are taking place in Detroit and Colorado and New Mexico and China and, and Iran. The news that wouldn't tell us that the war in Rhodesia was a Christian against Muslim war. They wouldn't even use the word Christian. So the media is still trying to break up the church. And they're not reporting the truth about everything. Mm -hmm. The sad part is, as our pastor recently quoted what he read, that 80% of the pastors in the United States who filled out a questionnaire said they no longer believed the Bible. So how are they going to teach it with the Spirit of God behind them, gifting them, if they don't even believe what they're saying? Right. So I could believe 80% of the pastors, but that means 20% of the pastors are teaching with their heart the scriptures. And it is, I've heard from uh, this recent COVID shutdown, that more people have come to Christ during the COVID shutdown than, and, than you'll ever hear on the news. So it depends on what news we listen to, to depend on, it depends on what we listen to and what we believe. The sad part is, is that there have been uh, pastors that are depressed with a biological depression. I liken it, I might be wrong, but it's like everybody that uh, has a problem like I did when I was young seeks to be a psychologist because they're still trying to figure themselves out. There's probably some of that in the, in the leadership in the church. They seek to become pastors as a way of assuaging their guilt. Yeah, you know, it's interesting about 20... Nine years ago, 28 years ago, 27 years ago, was I married to you and I, was that that church growth? <laughs> no, not yet. Okay, so it was after, so it was about 29 years ago. I worked at a ministry called Church Growth Development International, which I don't think exists anymore today. And um, interestingly, uh, the guy, Norm, I can't think of his last name, I guess it doesn't matter. Anyway, it, it was a ministry out of a uh, friend's church in Yorba Linda. Uh, and... I was hired as a young woman to call up pastors in particular to be able to set up an appointment to get uh, an ad to set up an appointment so that some fundraisers could go in and try to help the church raise money. Okay. So my job was to call up and talk to pastors. And so I decided way back then, 
that I wanted to survey the pastors. I had no problem getting through the, the gatekeeper, you know, the Barracuda secretary of the church. Yeah, you know who they are. Anyway, I was able to always talk to the pastors. And so I decided one day that I was going to take an impromptu survey of the pastors that I was talking to and asking them and this was way before my show this was way before this was years before this even even was even in my head but god knew <laughs> so i talked to these pastors <clears throat> and one after another told me oh i became a pastor because i wanted people to like me oh i became a pastor because i was you know wanted a job where i could be around people i became a pastor because Fill in the blank. It had nothing to do with the fact that God had called the person, with the exception of one black pastor in the South that I talked to. One black pastor in the South told me, God called me to preach God's word. And, you know, but out of probably a hundred people that I talked to, and I'll never forget that because I thought, wow, that is so sad that, you know, and I was in my early 20s at that time. And I thought to myself, man, that's sad that these guys all went into become a pastor just because they wanted somebody to like them. Well, the sad part is, is that there's some curses for those that uh, uh, behave like Ahab and Jezebel for not just not teaching the truth, but misleading others away from the truth. That's the sad part that we're trying to deal with now by praying for a revival. Yeah. And so, writing books, books like the politicized church. Yeah. The politicized church people. We call it the politicized church people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, yes. So, okay. So I got a couple other questions. I know it's almost time's over, but whatever. I can go over if I want, but I shouldn't go over too long because I know you got to go because you got to go travel some places uh okay so the question then is where do you think we're at now with with well with COVID-19 okay let me ask you a, a hot button question okay so the hot button question is do you think that because the churches have been shut down and now they're being told how to run the church what do you think is going to happen with the church do you think the American church will eventually go underground well, it's interesting that the book Left Behind, the book series. Never read it. The, uh, well, it's worth reading today, especially because the daughter of the uh, pilot that lived beyond the rapture and was living during the tribulation period used the Internet to keep the church alive and to keep the church fed. Hmm. Uh, that was interesting. But if you uh, read... Uh, Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, Jesus was asked the specific question, what about the time of your coming? And he said that there will be earthquakes and pestilences, and these are not the end yet, they're the beginning of sorrows. Hmm. And after the beginning of sorrows, which I believe we're stepping into now as a church, we have responded to them trying to keep us out of church with Zoom. Some of our attendance has grown on Zoom right. at our church. But the other thing is, is that he says from there, the church will be persecuted. So persecution usually precedes a revival. And I'm hoping that the revival will be coming soon. 
even if we are persecuted. But it might be those people that are called by his name that are politicized that will have to make a decision which side they're on. And that's what persecution does. Mm-hmm. True. Now, what do you think about the rapture? Well, I, I am believing is something like a thermometer. Yeah. Some days I'm a 40% believer in pre-trib. Sometimes I'm 80% believer in pre-trib. And uh, Walter Martin said it best. He's pan-trib. <clears throat> and he said, what do you mean by that? And he says, whatever way it pans out is okay with me. Right. It'll all pan out in the end, right? Yeah. So I, I happened to, there's a verse in uh, chapter 26 of Isaiah that says, uh, come my people, <clears throat> uh, come into your chambers and close the doors behind you until the tribulation passes. And I'm hoping that that's referring to the church during the end times. Well, that's a good place to end the show because I know you got to go, but also because, you know, because because that's really, I think, the big discussion, at least happening uh, within some of the people that I watch and follow, um, you know, but but before we go, one more thing. There he is. Yeah. So what do you think? There can, I can, am washing windows. Can't you see the, like the resemblance, everybody? See, he's red and he's got the nose and, but Elmo, <laughs> Elmo Jr. doesn't have like glasses. There we go. Oh, spitting image. Yeah, it is. Especially the smile. Yep. There you go. <laughs> this so was we've such... got believers. Now we know. We're out, now we know how Elmo got his name. Well, I think it's funny that in our networking group that was <laughs> such a big <laughs> topic of conversation. Oh, it's funny. Oh boy. Well, anyway, I was afraid that they might sue me for using his name, <sighs> and I had to have a defense. I think it's cool that you knew Jim Hansen. That's pretty cool. Okay, yes. so. So tell people where they can get your book and your website again, the main thought. What is it called? Well, the website, I don't have any sales on the website, but the website is where I post a lot of my thoughts, newer thoughts about personalization. Um, it's notesfromtheprayerroom.com. I also have uh, opportunities for you to leave prayer requests there, uh, which I spend a lot of time praying. And... Um, but Amazon is um, where to buy the books, both uh, A Fool's Redemption. Uh, if I might add, it's not just my testimony. It's also another look at the Lord's Prayer. Okay. It was my intention to find the one common prayer between all Christian churches, including Catholic, that they believe in, the Lord's Prayer. And I broke it down with a study on the Lord's Prayer that one fellow that bought it at my church said it, he uses it for a devotional. It's how to find the meaning from Jesus of the Lord's Prayer and how it's a plan for each of our lives to have the word transform us by the renewing of our mind. Amen. That was beautiful. I love that part. All right. So, hey, everybody. So, Elmo Pinard, there he is, people. Thank you very much, Stacy. Yeah, it was so cool. I can't wait to see you when you get back from your vacation or maybe during it. Who knows? You never know. 
It might be. It depends on the weather a lot. Yeah, it does. That's okay. <laughs> but uh, I, I know you're going to see the Ark, which is going to be fun. A lot yes, of people have seen the yes. Ark. So. And I'm meeting my liberal-minded uh, Edgar Cayce-believing nephew at the Ark. Oh, cool. So we can spend the day together. Um, and I would imagine the, the Ark might spur a few questions. Yeah. You know, because as one person put it, it takes you out of the realm of fantasy land and puts you in the realm of reality being at the Ark. Yeah. And that's what my family needs the most, <clears throat> the being real. Yep. I'm with you on that one. All right. Well, it's been my blessing to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much. It was truly, truly special for me. Cool. Okay. Don't hang up. All right, everybody. Hey, our show is now over. I know. It's sad, isn't it? You feel depressed now, don't you? Well, that's okay. You can go read the Bible. It will help you out. Okay, tomorrow we're going to be back. We're coming back tomorrow night at 7. I took a poll earlier today to find out what time you guys preferred. And two-thirds of you want us to do the show at 7 p.m. Central Time. So, unfortunately, some of you who tried to vote twice, I busted you. Yeah, even voter fraud here on the show. I can't believe it. Anyway, uh, yeah, so you're just going to have to come back at 7 o'clock tomorrow for Bible News Radio. And as I always say, people, at the end of the show, be bold, stand up, and go with God because he loves you. <laughs>